This podcast is for alcoholics that have a willingness to recover from their alcoholism by being taught and practicing the principles of the 12 steps as outlined in the big book and the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Ilya and I am an alcoholic. Page XIII, forward to first edition, first paragraph. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Okay, we've uh, completed step 11 in learning, and now we're moving into uh, step 12. So we'll read the step uh, in the summary, and we will now tie all the steps prior to that together into one giant step. But there's three parts to the 12th step. One is having had a spiritual awakening, two is practicing these principles, and three is carrying this message. So there's quite a bit to go over in order to know uh, the true essence of step 12 and all 12 steps. So we're going to turn to page 8, which is the summary, and we'll read that. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Joy of living is the theme of the 12th step. Action, its key word. Giving that asks no reward. Love that has no price tag. What is spiritual awakening? A new state of consciousness and being is received as a free gift. Readiness to receive gift lies in practice of 12 steps. The magnificent reality, rewards of helping other alcoholics, kinds of 12-step work, problems of 12-step work, what about the practice of these principles in all our affairs, monotony, pain, and calamity turned to good use by practice of steps, difficulties of practice, two-stepping, switch to 12-stepping, and demonstration of faith. Growing spiritually is the answer to our problems, placing spiritual growth first, domination and over-dependence, putting our lives on give-and-take basis, dependence upon God necessary to recover of alcohol, recovery of alcoholics, practicing these principles in all our affairs, domestic relations in AA, outlook upon material matters change, so do feelings about personal importance, Instincts restored to true purpose. Understanding is the key to right attitudes, right action, key to good living. So 
So that summary is very long compared to the others uh, because it constitutes the entire AA program in the final step. So once we uh, have practiced the prior 11 steps, we continue to, uh, to course correct uh, when we make mistakes and life goes on. And so if the joy of living is the theme of AA's 12 step, we have to practice how to live and carry this message to others and stay spiritually awakened. And this is how we do that um, when we are growing spiritually. So uh, that being said, we're now going to uh, start out where we practice these principles in all our affairs. Remember this step is broken into three things, spiritual awakening, practicing these principles, and carrying this message. So there's going to be more than one podcast, obviously. I can't fit all that in in an hour. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, start with uh, practicing the principles because we uh, are not finished in understanding. Uh, We have to understand more about what practicing all 11 steps prior to this really means and continue to do so in all our daily affairs. So uh, let's turn to page 111 of the the, uh, 12 and 12. So get out your 12 and 12 and go to the bottom of the page and you'll look at the last paragraph. It's the second uh, full paragraph towards the bottom of the page. Now comes the biggest question yet. What about the practice of these principles in all our affairs? Can we love the whole pattern of living as eagerly as we do the small segment of it we discover when we try to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety? So I'm going to stop there for a minute. So Bill has already explained 12-step work, helping others in working with others in the big book. But we're starting with this because uh, we, you know, can't carry a message that we don't practice or we shouldn't be. Uh, Newcomers want what we have and if we don't understand the program nor do we practice it uh, we shouldn't be teaching this program to anybody especially if you don't understand it. Uh, So it says here that we eagerly uh, carry this message but it's only a small segment. So carrying this message is just one part of what we find joy in. So let's continue. Can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we bring to our AA group? Can we have the same kind of confidence and faith in these people who have been infected and sometimes crippled by our own illness that we have in our sponsors? Can we actually carry the AA spirit into our daily work? Can we meet our newly recognized responsibilities to the world at large? And can we bring new purpose and devotion to the religion of our choice? Can we find a new joy of living in trying to do something about all these things? Can we find a new joy of living in trying to do something about all these things? So these are questions we should be asking ourselves on a daily basis. Um, Do we bring 
the uh, the spirit of our newfound gift of recovery uh, into every single affair when we walk outside of those rooms uh, with an AA logo on it. Uh, yes, we should bring it into our rooms, but a lot of people go into rooms, claim that they work this program, and don't on the outside of those doors. Um, there's people in their personal life that they uh, don't give this uh, this this love to, uh, and maybe they do to their sponsors, but not to actually people that uh, are in their family. Um, what about your job? Uh, what about uh, the world at large? Uh, or if you're religious, go back to your, or stay in your religion. I never said they'll abandon it, but I just said that, you know, you may come back a new person. You're not going to be the same person you did, you were when you first stopped drinking and worked this program, even if you were religious then, as you will be when you're done with the 12 steps. Um, you're going to bring, or done learning the 12 steps, you're going to bring all of that knowledge and, uh, and the action is going to be, uh, apparent to your denomination or faith devotion uh, when you go back to church they're going to see a different person your fellowship and your religion is going to see wow that 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 guy has grown or that girl has grown spiritually there's something different about them it must be God well now you can teach them that you found God um, within it's a force that you couldn't find without AA how about that um, maybe you can get others to think about the spirituality of their text rather than just their uh, their external God and image and dogma, um, which we already talked about in 11, so I'm not going to get into that again. But we certainly have to practice it everywhere we go, and uh, these are questions that break that down. Um, so now what, what happens when we really practice these things and we get... get, get uh, good at the AA uh, way of life. Next paragraph is what I call expert achievement. It's accepting life on God's terms, and uh, these are the things that really sh prove that the program works. So I'm going to read that uh, next paragraph on 112, first full paragraph towards the middle of the page. Furthermore, how shall we come in terms with seeming failure or success? Can we now accept and adjust to either without despair or pride? Can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness and, loneliness, and bereavement with courage and serenity? Can we steadfastly content ourselves with the humbler, yet sometimes more durable, satisfac more durable satisfactions when the brighter, more glittering achievements are denied us? So how about when things aren't going our way? That's really expert achievement. You know, it's, for me, it's easy to say the 12 steps are fantastic when everything's going my way. Um, I'm feeling good, uh, the job is good, the romantic life is good, I'm not uh, sick uh, from hangovers, uh, and I have uh, a full belly, uh, my body's in good shape, and uh, I, uh, people are happy when I show up, and there's definitely a lot of uh, good spirit all around. But what happens when things are denied me? That's the real question of this program. This is a real test. You know, people die. Um, jobs get lost. My pride gets wounded. Um, I may fail or succeed in business. Um, I may become broke again. I may get sick. I may get lonely. Um, 
can I stay humble even in those conditions? And what about when things I want aren't going my way? What about watching everybody else seemingly succeed while I get while I feel stuck? You know that that is really difficult for me. I'm in a position right now where I just feel stuck in my recovery, um, and I know that it's just that I'm being impatient. So there are times where I feel like this program um, isn't working, but that's just me and my ego. Um, demanding and expecting things to go its way. Uh, when you get enough time behind your belt out there, um, you're going to see that the spiritual intoxication of your first few years of recovery is going to start to fade. And uh, just not drinking and going to meetings and the newness of being sober is not going to be enough. There's going to come a time where you realize you're right back in the swing of life. And the main reason that I drank is because I wasn't comfortable living life. I needed a, a crutch, uh, a social lubricant, a sexual lubricant, a financial lubricant. I couldn't really do anything without alcohol being the centerpiece of any event. And uh, now that's gone. And so it's new in the beginning when it's gone and you realize, wow, that pain is over. I'm not feeling, you know, the way I used to. Uh, in the last few years of my drinking, and that's wonderful, but uh, I will forget that pain as many years tick by, and it'll seem like I'm, you know, not having fun anymore, and I'm missing out, and maybe I should consider, you know, uh, the fact that I may be a non-alcoholic after all, and that's when you need to understand that that's when people relapse, because they think they're cured or they are taking not drinking to an extreme. You know, that's the only extreme that we have to take this to is not drinking. Because drinking, um, even one, launches my physical allergy. And so it doesn't matter whether, you know, I drink in 20 years or in one day uh, prior since the last episode. Um, I will have that physical craving. And then the mental obsession will return. If I stop working this program, it'll definitely return. So these are uh, times in our lives where we're going to be uh, uh, dealing with challenges. And we're going to have to accept that the steps are, are bedrock in good times and bad. And when it feels like you're going nowhere, when you're not even having good times or bad times, you just feel like you're stuck out in the middle of the ocean with nowhere to go back to and nothing on the horizon and that that's when it really starts to get uh, uh, difficult so uh, let's move on um, so where's the proof the proof is in the steps so if we read the next paragraph uh, the AA answer to these questions about living is yes all of these things are possible we know this because we see monotony pain, and even calamity turn to good use by those who keep on trying to practice AA's 12 steps. And if these are facts of life for many alcoholics who have recovered in AA, they, become, they can become the facts of life for many more. So for me, you know, I just explain I'm in monotony. Um, Bill hits it all. Even when I think I came up with something that, uh, <laughs> you know, is unique to me, like the monotony, uh, he uses that word, and I understand that that's exactly what I just said. I didn't even plan that. Um, and that's where I suffer from. And, and yes, I have to continue trying to practice these steps. Um, 
when I feel like there's no place to go and I'm not having enough fun or it's discontent, discontent with the conditions and I see everyone else having fun and I'm not. Um, but uh, that's my own fault. I need to just stick with the program and that pain of loneliness and discontent will pass and uh, I will uh, recover again that for that day. Uh, remember, this is a one day at a time program. So the proof is in the steps is what I have written in the margin there. There's other alcoholics who've done this and uh, it can help many more. Okay. So uh, let's read on. Of course, all AAs, even the best, fall, fall short of such achievements as a consistent thing. Without necess necessarily taking that first drink, we often get quite far off the beam. Our troubles sometimes begin with indifference. We are sober and happy in our AA work. Things go well at home and office. We naturally congratulate ourselves on what later proves to be a far too easy and superficial point of view. We temporarily cease to grow because we feel satisfied that there is no need for all of AA's 12 steps for us. We are doing fine on a few of them. Maybe we are doing fine on only two of them. The first and that part of the 12th step, we carry the message. In AA slang, that blissful state is known as two-stepping, and it can go on for years. The best intention of us fall for the two-step illusion. Sooner or later, the pink cloud stage wears off, and things go disappointingly dull. We begin to think that AA doesn't pay off after all. We become puzzled and discouraged. So... I kind of already went over that. Uh, in my experience, uh, I can suffer from this, and what I'm suffering from is not growing. I have not growing written in the margin of uh, the paragraph that starts the best intention for us. Uh, it's an illusion. Um, I can do the first step, not drink, and carry this message and escape from my own problems and not look at myself anymore and not do the middle part of the program. And uh, I'm not even doing two steps, if you think about it. I mean, the, third, the 12th step has three parts. So I may not even think my life is unmanageable anymore in the first step. So if I just think I'm powerless over alcohol, that's half a step. And if I'm doing one-third of the 12th step, I'm only doing, if you like math out there, 0.75 steps. Uh, half a first step and a third of a 12th step. Uh, so I'm not even doing two steps. That's actually being generous because the 12th step says I'm practicing these principles in all my affairs, which I'm clearly not if I'm just carrying this message and not drinking. Um, and so even if you've worked all 12 steps and you decide that uh, you've done the work, you start thinking of it in past tense and the pink cloud starts to uh, dissipate, uh, what happens is we don't grow and we stop working the whole program and we uh, become disillusioned and puzzled and, and discouraged, as, as Bill says. And we could end up back at, at a bar very easily uh, or with a drink in our hand through other another means. But um, he says here, and there's a, another word in italics stuck in the middle on the third line of 113, it says all. All of AA's 12 steps for us. We start thinking there's no need for all of them. 
Why do all of them? I've already done all of them. I don't want to do all of them anymore. It's too much work. Well, the truth is, it only becomes more work the less you work them. So if you like to go to the gym, um, once you're in a routine, it's easy to go back to the gym. But when you start slacking uh, a few days and then maybe a week or two, it's harder to go back. And then you have to play catch up. So this is kind of the same thing. Your spiritual laziness um, is hard to re, uh, rega regain. Um, so you have to go back to all 12 steps, but you'll get there faster this time around than if you're brand new. Because uh, you understand the program and you know how to get back into spiritual fitness before too much internal garbage collects. Um, and so uh, let's, let's just be careful here that there's more to life than just getting your stuff back and things going well externally. Uh, you still need to continue to grow because this is a life program. You're always peeling back the onion. You're always discovering, uh, uncovering, discovering, and discarding uh, defects about yourself in order to become more God conscious. And you need to meditate and pray just as much as you did when you stopped drinking and, uh, and grow, uh, grow in spiritual con consciousness with your higher power. That's the program. So uh, keep that in mind for you two-steppers. Um, let's continue. Then perhaps life as it has a way of doing suddenly hands us a great big lump that we can't begin to swallow, let alone digest. We fail to get a work for promotion. We lose that good job. Maybe there are serious domestic or romantic difficulties or perhaps that boy we thought God was looking after becomes a military casualty. What then have we alcoholics in AA got or can we get the resources to meet these calamities which come to so many? These were problems of life which we never could never face up to. Can we now, with the help of God as we understand him, handle them as well as bravely as our non-alcoholic friends do? Can we transform these calamities into assets, sources of growth and comfort to ourselves and those about us? But we surely have a chance if we switch from two-stepping to twelve-stepping, if we are willing to receive that grace of God which can sustain and strengthen us in, the, in any catastrophe. So, in my experience, there's two reasons why I can start slowly going back towards a drink or running towards a drink. The first one is the slow uh, one. That is when I feel uh, like little things are piling up, annoyances um, and promotions or job problems or relationship problems or aren't going my way a little bit at a time. Then I can eventually uh, get a case of the efforts and, 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 and come up with some trivial excuse to go drinking. Um, and then there's the second reason, a calamity, a catastrophe. Uh, I lose the job. I lose the girl. I lose uh, a parent. Uh, a best friend dies accidentally or from a disease. There are many things that really, really hit us hard that happen in an instant. And that's when um, I know if I'm truly working this program or not. I have seen people who have done uh, seemingly great work in fellowship, carrying the message, and uh, one day you hear they're gone and you wonder why and come to later find out that maybe somebody died, okay? And they went out. So 
they didn't work all 12 steps because this book is promising us that if we do, we won't drink over it. And uh, no matter what the conditions, uh, we will uh, stay sober in all conditions. And so uh, working all 12 steps when a calamity comes is proof in uh, your life whether or not uh, you're working all 12 or just pretending to. Uh, and so we have a, uh, a need to, uh, to uh, stay sober, but yes, can we stay sober when these crises occur? And in my experience, um, I haven't had uh, somebody die um, that I'm super close to, but I have had people die uh, that I care about and I wasn't able, and I didn't drink over it. And for me, that's a big deal because usually I'd have a, an excuse to drink uh, for a funeral or an occasion where I lost a job. I've lost a job and I've had people that I know die that I care about. Um, but one day I know the people I truly, truly deep affection for and practically I depend upon, to be quite honest, are going to also die. And when that day comes, um, if I'm not working a strong program, um, I'm not, I may not survive uh, that event uh, when it comes to my sobriety. So I have to prepare for that event because it's coming. Uh, nobody gets through life without a calamity or a crisis. It doesn't happen. Um, there's going to be them, and we have to be ready, um, especially alcoholics. So uh, that's a great paragraph to reread. Um, so let's continue. Our basic troubles are the same as everyone else's, but when an honest effort is made to practice these principles in all our affairs, well-grounded AAs seem to have the ability, by God's grace, to take these troubles in stride and turn them into demonstrations of faith. We have seen AAs suffer lingering excuse me, we have seen AAs suffer lingering and fatal illnesses with little complaint and often in good cheer. We have sometimes seen families broken apart by misunderstandings, tensions, or actual infidelity or reunited by the AA way of life. So those are examples of things that happen, um, proof of people who are not drinking and uh, actually get through these crises uh, in their lives with a smile on their face, looking at the bright side of life. Um, next paragraph, though the earning power of most AA is relatively high, we have some members who never seem to get on their feet money-wise, and still others who encounter heavy financial reverses. Ordinarily, we see these situations met with fortitude and faith. So that's an important paragraph. It's a small little paragraph, but it's important. You know, when I first got here, I wanted to know where the finance and the romance departments were. Uh, and there wasn't any. But uh, there were plenty of people in the rooms who didn't practice the program, who, um, you know, did 13-stepping, looking for jobs, looking for romance and whatnot. And so uh, I, you know, had to understand that uh, that's my problem. Now, if I want to help another alcoholic because they earned it um, and I know them well and I have the power to help them, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It depends. But um, personally... They're not obligated to, and nor am I. They or I are not obligated to get other alcoholics 
into a good money and a romantic situation. That's not why we're here. It's not a non-drinking club to acquire power, money, and sex. But what he is saying is, is that we are very clever people. We're very personable, and lots of people who, are, who have those two qualities um, are able to make money. And that's great. If you uh, are back on your feet money-wise, fantastic. Uh, but there are people who never get their money back, um, or at least as much as they had, and uh, just live uh, more stable lives, and their spiritual life is much better than it would be if they were in a uh, job that they used to have that had a lot of stress and triggers that got them agitated or doubtful, and they couldn't work this program and do that job at the same time, even though it was lucrative. So what is that person to do? Well... Um, we know a lot of people, and I'm sure you can think of some, who have died who are very wealthy. Um, suicidal uh, wealthy people uh, die all the time. And uh, what ends up happening is they didn't work the steps, or they never understood them in the first place, or they thought that the program was just to get their stuff back. And now that they did, that emptiness, that void is still inside them. No external amount of wealth can fill it. The only thing that can fill the void inside is a higher power. And so even if you don't have any money and you never get back on your feet financially, I should say, not no money, but get back on your feet uh, to your expectations or ex of, of a lifestyle that you think you need, um, then we uh, will never uh, be happy, joyous, and free until that happens. And then when it does happen, it's not what we thought it would be. So um, we meet these situations with fortitude and faith and remember that we're not here uh, to get power, money, and sex without drinking. And then we're going to explain that in the next paragraph, which I have a star written next to in the next paragraph, that it's okay to have instincts and maybe you will become wealthy again. But if you put your financial or your sexual ambitions uh, or your standing in the community uh, socially ahead of your spiritual growth, you're in trouble. And that is where we need to make sure that we're, we, we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. Um, and then whatever the outcome is externally is. Uh, but let's read it and uh, let Bill explain. Like most people, we have found that we can take our big lumps as they come. But also, like others, we often discover a greater challenge in the lesser and more continuous problems of life. Our answer is still in more spiritual development. Only by this means can we improve our chances for real, happy, and useful living. And as we grow spiritually, we find that our old attitudes towards our instincts need to undergo drastic revisions. Our desires for emotional security and wealth, for personal prestige and power, for romance and for family satisfactions, all these have to be tempered and redirected. We have learnt that the satisfaction of instincts cannot be the sole end and aim of our lives. If we place instincts first, we have got the cart before the horse. We shall be pulled backward into disillusionment. But when we are willing to place spiritual growth first, then and only then do we have a real chance. I read this paragraph in a prior podcast. Um, I think it was seven. But it shows... Uh, that spiritual development needs to come before our 
natural desires. If you're an alcoholic, uh, we go into a state of insanity when we put our primary instincts before our spiritual development. Try it. Try putting your instincts first cognitively and not do the spiritual, but do that second and see where it gets you. See if you can handle the more, as Bill puts it, the greater challenges and the lesser and more continuous problems of life. Those are the little things I was talking about. The little pangs and knocks that come at you um, that build into uh, more emotional turmoil than uh, the event is worth. And when that happens, uh, we're in disillusionment. We can't think straight. Um, di disillusionment, maybe illusionment. I don't know why he uses that word, but um, I grow insane. I go backward into insanity, to be quite honest. That's my experience. And um, maybe disillusionment means that um, I'm starting to see mirages, and uh, which are outcomes to my uh, expectations and demands that uh, I can never achieve. And the more that I walk toward them, the more dehydrated I get. Um, and uh, the more weaker I grow. And uh, I grow desperate and frustrated. And so that is really what I, happens to me. Um, so uh, he's basically, you know, uh, hammering home what are these instincts again, our desires for emotional security, wealth, personal prestige, power, romance, family satisfactions. These are all our basic instincts that we read, read about in the fourth step in the essay in this book. So they have to be tempered and redirected, and we learned that um, we don't temper and redirect them. I don't have the power to do that. If I put my natural desires first and say, I'm going to temper them this time, I don't have that power. Um, we have a missing chip in our head that doesn't regulate our God-given instincts. Uh, that's just a common theme for alcoholics. We all have these out-of-whack instincts. And that was the destructive cause of our drinking. We read that in the fourth step as well. So now I know that I can't control my instincts. I have to put my spiritual growth first and my higher power tempers and redirects them. And then I have a real chance. It says there's no chance basically without doing that. So uh, if you don't understand that, you don't understand this program or you're fighting this program and trying to change it into something that, hey, something else. And that's fine. Feel free to try another program. No one's saying you can't, but that's this book is saying that you have to put spiritual development before your natural desires. And then if you happen to do well in business and romance and, and you have a good place in the community, then great. Do it with a smile on your face. Do it with joy in your heart. If you don't have those things, you'll still have a smile on your face and joy in your heart. And God will give you the things you need to uh, be who he intends you to be on this earth, not who you expect to be. You don't get to choose the part in the play of life. God does. You can have goals, but if you don't achieve them, you don't kill yourself. And that's another thing that we have to understand. We're, we can have goals, but if we don't achieve them or we don't know our limitations um, and we don't accept our limitations and embrace our gifts, uh, we're not in God's will. We're in our will. And we're comparing ourselves to others. And it's very dangerous. And if you practice this step, you'll know that. Um, so let's continue, um, page 115, 
After we come into AA, if we go on growing, our attitudes and actions towards security, emotional security, and financial security commence to change profoundly. Our demand for emotional security and for our own way had constantly thrown us into unworkable relations with other people. Though we were sometimes quite unconscious of this, the result has always been the same. Either we had tried to play God and dominate those about us, or we had insisted on being over-dependent upon them. Where people had temporarily let us run their lives as though they were still child children, we had felt very happy and secure ourselves. But when they finally insist, resisted or ran away, we were bitterly hurt and disappointed. We blamed them, been quite unable, being quite unable to see that our unreasonable demands had been the cause. So that's what happens um, when we don't work this program. Um, I kind of just went into it before I read it. Um, we don't continue to grow. Our expectations and demands uh, don't go our way. We play God, and eventually people leave or die, and we're left bitterly uh, disappointed and alone. Um, and that's just the end result. And we go, how did I get here? How did I get here? I've tried so hard for things to work out. But you never knew that you were trying to jam that square peg into that round hole. And uh, it never works. So let's read the next paragraph. When we had taken the opposite tact and, and had insisted, like infants ourselves, that people protect and take care of us, or that the world owed us a living, then the result had been equally unfortunate. This often caused the people we had loved most to push us aside or perhaps desert us entirely. Our disillusionment had been hard to bear. We couldn't imagine people acting that way toward us. We had failed to see that, though adult in years, we were still behaving childishly, trying to turn everybody friends, wives, husbands, even the world itself, into protective parents. We had refused to learn the very hard lesson that over-dependence upon people is unsuccessful because all people are fallible, and even the best of them will sometimes let us down, especially when our demands for attention become unreasonable. Man, these last two paragraphs were really, really uh, hard for me to swallow. Uh, even though I work this program, there are times where I can't imagine life without certain people in them. And I really think I'm screwed or I'm a dead man when they're gone. Um, and I, I'm, a, I'm in self-centered fear and absolutely terrified of that. Um, I think I have problems that pr prevent me from, from uh, being a, a member of society uh, or making a living. Uh, so I'm not going to have uh, a social life, a financial life, or a sexual life if certain people aren't here to protect me and help me. Um, and, you know, it may be very well God's will that they are here to help me with those things, but eventually they will leave. They will die. And if I don't work this program and wean myself off of my over-dependence, um, I, will, I will not make it through that event. And look, God puts other people in our lives that we may need. I'm not saying that um, I'd be where I'm at without these other people. Maybe I wouldn't be. But I don't think God gives us more than we can handle. Um, but if we continue to take advantage of the gifts that God has given us, and when life takes its course and they're eventually fed up with it, or they die because people die, um, we're going to be left alone and afraid and very, very suicidal, potentially, which could lead us back to a drink, obviously. 
So the only person, I'm sorry, you forget person, the only uh, force, uh, I guess that's the only word I can think of, to be dependent upon uh, is my higher power. My higher power, I can be as dependent upon as I wish. Uh, and so when I'm growing spiritually uh, and working the 10th and 11th and 12th step, which is, again, all 12 steps uh, compacted into three um, levels of understanding uh, in action, I, I basically have um, the flow of God keeping me strong in these events that will happen. Um, if I uh, were not to have a higher power when these events happen, I would be an ego, and my ego would uh would shatter uh and once a shattered ego uh it has no power at all um not to mention an inflated balloon uh doesn't either because uh, it can be popped so so easily with just a pinprick uh, so once uh i understand that uh these events are coming and there's no avoiding them um I need to know that my higher power is going to be there through, for me through through it all. Um, and so I depend upon it. Um, what I have underlined is uh, we had failed to see that though adult in years, we were still behaving childishly, trying to turn everybody, friends, wives, husbands, even the world itself into protective parents. It's so true. I, I used to turn bosses into parents. Um, I had a great boss. And he taught me everything I ever needed to know about business and selling. Um, and uh, he started a great company um, from the ground up, and I uh, was a part of it. And I turned him into a, uh, a parent, expected him to do for me um, what I should do for myself. And eventually, um, they, he was sick of it and turned me away. Um, the company turned out to be a... Uh, a multi-billion dollar business um, and uh, I could have been a part of that and uh, now I'm not and uh, I'm still trying to recreate my life um, financially uh, I could have said well that's it that was it that's the one that got away um, there's no point in continuing to try um, there's lots of things that uh, happened uh, after that employer as well as before um, where I may not have ended up working there in the first place if I um, wasn't jumping from one uh, protective parent to the next. But, um, of course, my alcoholic mind thinks about all the money I didn't make, um, and that's why it's such a grandiose event. Um, but there are others who uh, couldn't live up to my expectations to protect me either, um, so I abandoned them um, as well. And so the same thing happened with me in romance. Um, I got to back together with a, uh, a, uh, a girlfriend that I dated in high school uh, 25 years later. Um, we got back together, and uh, I had thought she was always the one that got away. Uh, and it turns out that uh, it wasn't a good fit after all. Um, and I was so disappointed um, and saddened by uh, at first blaming her um, we both played a part, and uh, I wasn't the same guy I was in high school, uh, and she wasn't the same girl, and uh, we just didn't have um, the love that we had for each other beyond the idea of it being an old flame. 
Um, and unfortunately, uh, it hurt me very badly because I had really thought that she was the one. Um, and she was being reintroduced into my life for a reason. Um, and this is after I had gotten sober. And so uh, when that was taken away, I really thought that God had uh, thrown, thrown me a, uh, a whammy. Um, I, you know, didn't know what to do. But now I look back on it and I realize that that was a gift. Um, I had always this, you know, this obsession with this girl, thinking she was the one that got away. And then God introduced her, reintroduced her into my life again. And I ended up um, losing her again. But this time... Um, I knew that it wasn't uh, the right fit after all, and so the obsession was removed. So that's a gift. My higher power had to help me go through uh, an experience I couldn't let go of. This is just what happened to me. Not everyone will get this chance. Maybe you will in other areas of your life. But if you can identify that something you thought you had to have um, returns, and then you get sober and you realize that it wasn't the right thing after all. So that's dependence on a higher power. If I had depended upon myself and her and make to make it work, um, people would have gotten hurt, and I bet you the alcohol would have started flowing again. So these are hard lessons. Um, it says here we refuse to learn the very hard lessons. Um, a hard lesson was reintroduced in my life in that event. Um, and only my higher power could have arranged it so. Um, and sometimes things happen externally uh, in order for me to learn a lesson internally. And uh, it sounds like coincidence, but to me, uh, coincidence is nothing more than God's anonymity. Uh, so moving on um, to page 115 towards the bottom. As we made spiritual progress, we saw through these fallacies it became clear that if we were ever to feel emotionally secure among grown-up people, we would have to put our lives on a give-and-take basis. We would have to develop the sense of being in partnership or brotherhood with all those around us. We saw that we would need to give constantly of ourselves without demands for repayment. When we persistently did this, we gradually found that people were attracted to us as never before. And even if they failed us, we could be understanding and not too seriously affected. So that means that we've now achieved emotional balance in all conditions. Um, if you've been practicing your 10th step, can you stay sober, um, stay emotionally balanced under all conditions? Uh, so these conditions are is that we uh, now not only just accept grim conditions, um, we can give and take without, accepting, uh, without expecting anything in return. And uh, I know a lot of guys uh, who give uh, of themselves, but they never take love. Um, if you try to give them love or help them in any way, uh, they'll, never, they'll never let you. They give you the shirt off their back, but if you wanted to give them your shirt, they, they, wouldn't, lay, they wouldn't take it. Um, you know, that, that's a one-way street. Um, and those people will abandon you, and then you'll be offended. Um, and that, that's something that um, we also have to, you know, be not too affected by. Um, we're dealing with other alcoholics in the fellowship who are very sick and they, you know, have problems that we can see for ourselves that may not be as difficult for us, but is excruciatingly difficult for them. So we need to have compassion just like they do for our uh, derelictions that they, uh, they are, have an easier time with. So not everybody's going to have the same exact glaring defects you do um, or defense strategies to them. 
but we're certainly uh, all the same uh, at the end of the day when it comes to um, the extremes that we go to and how easily offended we are um, and how emotionally sensitive we can be. I read in, uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in the big book that it takes us a long, long time to, uh, to get over the serious handicap of emotional sensitivity. Um, and so when we're, uh, when we're new uh, and then we are emotionally sensitive and then we start working this program for a while, we start thinking, wow, this can't be working. I'm still a highly sensitive uh, individual, especially in certain situations. Um, I should be better now. I should understand uh, what's going on here and not be as sensitive to certain people. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, it takes us a long, long time to outgrow this serious handicap, as Bill calls it. And uh, if we work this program uh, to the best of our ability, uh, over time, we'll be able to um, not take things so personally. Um, so there's a couple things that I want to um, read in the big book that relate to a lot of the things I just said. So if you turn to page 125, just so you know that the big book does or align with this 12 and 12, towards the bottom of 125, it says, we alcoholics are sensitive people. It takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. Okay. And then if you also turn the page, I talked about financial recovery. If you go to 127 uh, and go to the middle of the page, um, in the first full paragraph, it says, although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first. For us, material well-being always followed uh, spiritual progress. It never proceeded. So that goes back to putting the cart before the horse or your natural desires before your spiritual growth. So these two things are in the big book. These essays uh, are not uh, separate from the big book. Again, they're supplements. So if you didn't believe me that this book has no relevance or is teaching us more uh, that's outside of bounds of the, of the big book, it's not. It's expanding what, 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 what I just read in the big book, which is one or two sentences elaborated in here. Okay, so um, let's continue. Um, I'm going to jump ahead here. Um, he goes into um, to the sex instinct next. Um, now he talks about people who, uh, well, actually, let's backtrack here. Before we do that, let's look at, um, let's go to 116 again and finish, uh, let's finish 116 to the top of 117. When we develop still more, we discovered the best possible source of emotional stability to be God himself. We found that dependence upon his perfect justice, forgiveness, and love was healthy and that it would work where nothing else would. If we really depended upon God, we couldn't very well play God to our fellows, nor would we feel the urge wholly to rely on human protection and care. These were the new attitudes and fi that and finally brought many of us an inner strength and peace that could not be deeply shaken by the shortcomings of others or by any calamity not of our own making. So, yeah, I wanted to read that because what I just said um, aligns with what is said in this paragraph. There's other people that 
have shortcomings, and if, I get, if I'm too emotionally sensitive to them, either A, I, I shouldn't hang out with them, or B, um, I should only see them um, uh, when I can handle it um, and not spend maybe too much time with them. That's something that you're going to have to figure out for yourself. Um, I don't want to discard people. You know, there's an expression, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can't spend a lot of time with somebody that you care about, but you can spend a little time with them. And so you don't want to abandon people um, simply because they annoy you um, and you can't handle it. Uh, but if they're harming you uh, and they feel like a drink to you, as some people are like a drink to me, just the, the more I hang out with them and the more I see them, uh, the, my, my old ideas start pouring back into my mind and my old emotional pangs start clicking and I just can't see them anymore. Um, so that's, that's something you'll have to decide for yourself, but with the help of your higher power, you'll be able to do that. Um, you can forgive and, uh, and not see somebody anymore. Um, but we really depended upon God at the end of the day. Uh, and human protection and care is important, but it's not, uh, a whole you can't wholly rely on it uh, next paragraph this new outlook was we learned something especially necessary to us alcoholics for alcoholism had been a lonely business even though we had been surrounded by people who loved us but when self-will had driven everybody away and our isolation had become complete it caused us to play the big shot in cheap bar rooms and then fare forth alone on the street to depend upon the charity of a passerby. We were still trying to find emotional security by being dominating or depending upon others. Even when our fortunes had not ebbed that much and we nevertheless found ourselves alone in the world, we still vainly tried to be secure by some unhealthy kind of domination or dependence. For those of us who were like that, AA had a very special meaning. Through it, we begin to learn right relations with people who understand us. We don't have to be alone anymore. So that is uh, extraordinarily difficult uh, when you're uh, still struggling with that. Um, I think that I've grown. And then I read these paragraphs and I realize that there's still a long way to go. Um, and that's okay. I have no problem admitting that because understanding the program is why I'm here. Um, where, I, where I'm at in it is irrelevant. Um, but I, I do know that um, I'm practicing it uh, because I'm reading here and learning and, and trying to be better. Uh, and uh, that can be done by carrying the message. And uh, when I'm not doing this podcast, I have to re recall what I've reminded myself of in these paragraphs, and that's why I read these books um, continuously. Um, I don't shelf them and let the dust collect too long, because I, I certainly understand isolationism, um, and I have playing a big shot. It's a ex disease of extremes. I'm, I'm either isolating um, and uh, alone, and I'm playing, or I'm playing the big shot in a cheap bar room, as he says. When a place where I can feel superior over to others. You know, when I was drinking, I uh, started to hang out with other people that I thought I was better than um, because it made me feel like I wasn't so bad um, and I got attention from them. But then I'd also hang out with groups of people where I thought I was very inferior, but they were better than me. And so I was in the poor me's, but my image was so important that it was better to hang out with a group 
that I thought was better than me um, and be in the poor me's than um, hang out with a group of well, so quote-unquote losers and have a reputation that I was a loser too. <laughs> so I couldn't win. Um, I was either miserable or playing the big shot, um, and I didn't like the crowd. So, uh, you know, I drank more in order to blot out the reality of my situation. Uh, and then there was the uh, emotional security. This is a big one. I mean, people are like, well, what's emotional security? Everyone wants emotional security. But now we know in AA, emotional security is taken to an extreme when we overly depend or overly control or dominate others. That is uh, a source of our ego's um, way of uh, trying to fill that void uh, that we can't fill just the same as if it, would, if it were money. We had mentioned fortunes here too. Um, so power, money, they don't work in filling the void. And that's the bottom line. Your higher power does. So now he's going to get into all of the different marital situations when it comes to sex lives. Um, our sex instinct is just as powerful. Um, and we have to be able to uh, understand that you can be single, married, um, uh, and, and be happy. You don't have to have uh, all the things you think you need and want sexually in order to be happy as well. Uh, so, one of the, I'll just go into the lines that I have underlined. Um, okay. So, we're going to go to page 119. We're going to look at the uh, first full paragraph, and I have underlined, he persistently tries all of AA's 12 steps in his home, often with fine results. At this point, he firmly but lovingly commences to behave like a partner instead of like a bad boy. So an alcoholic who is working these steps uh, will have a partnership with his uh, family uh, and spouse rather than behave like a little baby or a bad kid. Um, reckless romancing um, used to be a way of life and now it's not. Um, practicing, not just teaching this program gets real results. So if you are just teaching this program, you probably still have childish tendencies. And you may be married to um, someone who's also childish, who loves the bad boy theme or, you know, the bad girl. Um, but eventually those two kinds of attitudes clash into harm. And, uh, and it's reckless and there'll be an accident, which will lead to emotional turmoil and harm. So read those. And then if we go to uh, the next paragraph, um, I have underlined in the middle of the next second full paragraph, the prospective partners need to be solid AAs and long enough acquainted to know that their compatibility at spiritual, mental, emotional levels is a fact and not wishful thinking. So if you're single or you're in the meetings and you meet another alcoholic and you want to get together, um, it's fine, but you need to be both on the AA beam um, and that you're both practicing the AA principles. Um, I had mentioned 13-stepping before, uh, practicing AA's principles uh, among two recovered alcoholics can be a wonderful relationship, but if you have one um, person who's not practicing and the other one is, um, 
what did I say earlier? You get a sickie and a welly, you end up with two sickies. Um, so uh, keep that in mind when you're in the rooms. And if you're not, neither of you are practicing the principles, then the person who has more time in the program will 13th step the newcomer. And uh, it's funny because the perpetrator of that will end up hurt more than the newcomer. The newcomer is way more good at manipulating and people-pleasing than someone who's been around a while. Uh, they're, they're in it. A uh, person who hasn't drank for a while, who 13-step thinks he's being the smarter or she's being smarter, but in the end of that uh, endeavor, uh, you'll find that the person who did the 13-stepping is way more affected and harmed way more than the, uh, than the victim. Um, You'll see for yourself if you know what I mean. Um, so he goes into um, being single as well. Um, single people, if you look at page 120, they can devote themselves to any number of ideas, people, and constructive projects. <clears throat> so if you're single, you know, you have free time. Uh, maybe marriage isn't for you. Maybe it's not in God's will for you to be married. I don't know. Um, but you can still work these principles and have plenty of time to be a part of many things that you may not be a part of if you are a family man. And maybe if being a family man is too difficult and activates your defects too frequently and when every time you try it, um, you're, you're, you wish you weren't in a relationship. And then when you're not in one, you dream of being in one. That is no place to be either. So practice the program and your truth will be revealed. Um, and then finally... He talks about money being God. Um, there's a line in the second, the full last paragraph. Uh, money was the symbol of pleasure and self-importance. Well, so you can make money your God just as much as you can make sex and power your God. Uh, so money uh, is not the symbol of your self-importance. If you have money, great. If you don't have money, great. If you're working this program, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but what he does get into is, be, you know, being frivolous with money or um, being miserly with money. Again, extremes. So take any instinct and think of each extreme, and that's what we do. There's going to be people who throw money around like I did when I was buying people drinks all the time and uh, playing the big shot. And then when I was sober, I pinched every penny and barely put a dollar in the basket. Um, why? Because I felt like I had to get all my money back. And uh, if I didn't get that money back, um, I wasn't going to have my status. And what would be the point of being recovered if I don't have my status? Um, and money was uh, a reflection of my status. Um, I still struggle with that one, very much so. Um, he says on page 122, the bottom of the first full paragraph, bottom of the first uh, paragraph that's uh, unfinished, says we found that freedom from fear was more important than freedom from want. So when I practice these steps, um, no matter how much power, money, or sex I do or don't have, I'm no longer in fear from uh, those not having those things or losing those things because that's more important to my serenity than wanting them. Uh, and now he also gets into um, to envy and ambition in page 122 and 123. I had mentioned that we have ambitions. 
Um, I may not have a threat to something uh, I already have, but I certainly want what I don't have. And he gets into envy and uh, how envy leads straight to self-pity. Another one of my difficulties, um, ambition instincts. You know, let's read uh, the sentence in the uh, second full paragraph towards the bottom of the page. He learns that he can be content as long as he plays well with whatever, whatever cards life deals him. He's still ambitious, but not absurdly so, because he can now see and accept actual reality. He's willing to stay right size. So somebody who's working this program ha can, can have ambitions. I said you could have goals. Bill is confirming that here. But if they're not absurd, and if you can't achieve them, then we have to accept that. And we stay right size when we leave, live in reality rather than fantasy. And cards are dealt to different people. Um, some people have more uh, money without having to work for it. Um, others can't make money even if they do work for it. They make very little. Uh, but, you know, if you work these steps, it makes no difference. Uh, set goals. But don't beat yourself up if you don't achieve uh, your unworldly uh, ambitions. Um, so let's move to um, 123. There's a group of psychologists who found three character traits that all alcoholics have. And I mentioned this in the other podcast and I couldn't find it. And I have it underlined now and I remember where it is. It's in the 12th step, first full paragraph towards the top of the page. It says, these distinguished men had the nerve to say, meaning the psychiatrists, had the nerve to say that most of the alcoholics under investigation were still childish, emotionally sensitive, and grandiose. How true that is for me. Um, when I start fantasizing, um, I get very grandiose in my ambitions. Um, I actually can play and project the whole event out in my mind. Um, when I'm uh, with people I care about or want to dominate, and I'm in, let's say, an excitable mood, I can be very childish and in almost in a uh, cutesy kind of, you know, like I'm pretending to be a five-year-old kind of way. It's kind of weird, um, but it happens. And then childish as far as temper tantrums go. Um, so, you know, that's childishness. Childish jokes, childish behavior, um, all of it. Not just the funny parts and the cute parts, but the ugly parts of childish behavior. Emotional sensitivity, we read about and talked about that. And we, I just went over grandiosity. We all have those things. Um, if you're an alcoholic and you can identify with what I mean, then um, those are emotions that are immature emotions, and we need to um, understand that we're trying to uh, temper those as well. So let's look at uh, 123, uh, second full paragraph towards the middle of the page. We have seen, and I'm reading the things I have underlined, by the way, guys. So if you want to underline, this is what you should underline. We have seen that we were prodded by unreasonable fears or anxieties into making a life business of winning fame, money, and what we thought was leadership. So false pride became the reverse side of that ruinous coin marked fear. We simply had to be number one people to cover up our deep lying inferior inferiorities. Uh, so... 
that for me, um, absolutely. I had unreasonable fears or anxieties because I wasn't getting enough or I was afraid that I was never going to be famous enough, uh, rich enough, um, or be a leader among men. Um, this pride or false pride, as he's called it, um, is pride in reverse. Uh, we talked about pride in reverse in step four, you know, where I th my opinion of myself is so high if I have those things and when I don't have them um, or I'm afraid of losing them, uh, the reverse side of that is pride in reverse. So I have a very low opinion of myself um, and that really underneath that is fear. Um, so I had to be number one to cover up um, who I really am underneath that mask and you couldn't see it because I knew that I was deep lying in fear inferior on the inside. So read those paragraphs and underline the ones that I'm going over. Um, just remember, um, anything extreme is self-will. We work the steps for balance, I guess is what I'm trying to say and what Bill's trying to say. And when we practice these daily, our emotions become balanced. So my self-will run riot is extreme self-will when it comes to my base instincts. And he's going over all of these in much deeper understanding. Um, so we can see that there's nothing left that build and catch that we think is too unique to us for these steps to work. Because a lot of these paragraphs really hit home for me the first time I saw I read them. So we all have troubles. Let's go to the second full paragraph on page 124. I have underlined service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help. So for me, I have troubles well accepted or solved with God's help underlined because I'm always going to have troubles and I have to accept these troubles and I can solve them even if they can't be solved. That's solving them. Um, but I don't know what can and can't be solved without God's help. So I'm not accepting the serenity prayer. What can I change and what can I not change? So we're now on the last page of 125 where he actually ends this whole thing with the serenity prayer. But before that, he talks about us as problem people. You know, these are very simple principles for most people, guys. Non-alcoholics do these things kind of naturally. Um, they may not do, you know, they may not be aware of it, but they don't have a missing component in their mind that drives them insane when their natural desires aren't being satisfied. And they don't have character defects to extremes as a result of that. So we're problem people because we think that there's something wrong with us. Um, but we are problem people because we have a disease. That's what's wrong with us. But it's not our fault. Now, my sponsor um, told me once when I was new that this isn't my fault. I didn't ask for this disease. It was given to me. I don't know why. And asking why is a waste of time. It's like asking why is there a God? Uh, or, you know, it's, it, why, why does this program work? There's no chapter called ha uh, why it works. There's only a chapter called how it works. And we have, you know, our theories on spirituality. But when we practice these principles, the theory becomes in the last analysis that God is within you. God works through you for you to be happy, joyous, and free. It's not given to you like a lottery ticket just because you've been a good boy or girl. Um, it doesn't work that way. So we're problem people because we can't get what we want when we want it or we're always in fear of losing it when we have it. So... 
What I have starred in this paragraph, and I've reverted this to this paragraph before, is in the last paragraph, for it is by only for it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us, and with him who presides over us all. Understanding is the key to right principles and attitudes, and right action is the key to good living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12th step. With each passing day of our lives, may every one of us sense more deeply the inner meaning of AA's simple prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. And so, that is really what this whole program is compacted into that prayer. And if you even want to compact it down even further, thy will be done is the whole program as well. Uh, when you get to true expert level achievement, you can just say thy will be done. And that's it. And you've just understood all 12 steps if you've you know, studied all of this diligently. Um, that will all be in that prayer, thy will be done. So you basically have to understand that this book and the other book, Bill says it seems like we've been, you know, racking dilemmas and troubleshooting, but it's all so simple at the end of the day. Um, when we don't work the program, it's when it doesn't become simple, and our problem thinking comes back, and we feel like um, the world's out to get us, and we just don't fit. Uh, and when that happens, we're in trouble, and uh, God relieves us. Of our uh, of our disease on a daily basis daily basis if we practice 12 steps not just one or two of them but all of them it's not easy as easy as uh, the book makes it seem um, at times because it takes practice but uh, this is the this is what we should be aiming for and when we're aiming for it um, we'll achieve it and it's on God's time not our timetable uh, so, if you're out there and you're new, or you've been around a while and things are getting dull, or you've realized that you really haven't worked the whole AA program and you have a lot of time, congratulations. You're still alive. You're listening to this podcast. You're trying to understand the literature. And you can start now. Uh, and that's all that matters. You start from where you're at now. Uh, and so that is hope and that's the reality uh, so uh, stop working a program that doesn't work try this one if you've been fighting it and see for yourself and you know what if it doesn't work then you can be one of those people that says rarely have we seen a person fail um, and the reason that Bill put that in there rarely we have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed this path meaning the path of the 12 steps is that there, he didn't want to be so cocky that there's always that one alcoholic who'll say, I did the steps, I got the spiritual awakening, and now I'm going to stop. Take your gift back. I don't want it. Also, I can prove that the program doesn't work. That's how much pride or egotism that person has. So, Strangely enough, there's always going to be that one person who just doesn't want to admit that they were wrong. Uh, and they would rather die than be wrong. Uh, did the person fail? 
Absolutely. Okay? What he's saying, what Bill is saying, is we rarely see a person do that. We rarely see a person who has thoroughly done these steps decide to give the gift back just so they can be right and say the program didn't work. Because really it did. Uh, and they just don't want to do it anymore for some reason, probably to be right, that it, you know, to prove a point. And, and then they're willing to die to prove that point. That rarely happens. Um, so in any case, hopefully that makes you understand that, you know, if you work this program, um, you're going to get these promises. Whether you choose to continue to hold on to them is up to you. And if you don't, then yeah. You, 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 you will have failed in continuing to work the steps. Um, and that's, uh, that's a matter of, you know, a matter of your own choice and thinking. But rarely does it happen. So this podcast was a little over an hour, but we're in the 12th step, and it's important to go over all of uh, everything I could. I could have spoken more, but I want to keep these uh, to an hour. I thought I was going to keep them to 30, 40 minutes, but that wasn't going to happen. So, um... Now we've learned about practicing these principles in all our affairs and all 12 steps uh, are designed for living and we live in 10, 11, and 12. And 10, 11, and 12 are interlinked and they are all 12 steps practiced on a daily basis. So next we're time we're going to go into um, working with others and we're going to talk about um, how to carry this message. So uh, God bless and uh, may your heart be full. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.